In the last weeks we have been following Nehemiah, the man who returned to Jerusalem to build the walls of the city of God. And with Nehemiah we have seen that we too as believers are called in the same work. What are the walls of Zion? Well, they refer to everything that the devil, the world, and the sinful flesh would want to be torn down in the Christian life. Building the walls of Zion refer to the gathering, defending, and preserving of the church of Jesus Christ by the preaching of God's word. Building the walls of Zion refer to a faithful life to the truth of God, a life of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, a life of fellowship with the saints. The walls of Zion are godly marriages and godly families that flow from those marriages The walls of Zion are the personal lives of holiness to be built up in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, no sooner than Nehemiah began to build the walls of Jerusalem in earnest and showed that he had not come to talk but to work, then also his problems began in earnest. Opposition, which dwarfed all of the trials that he had experienced to that point. There was opposition from outside the ranks, And there was discouragement within the ranks of the Jews. That's always the case. In the words of the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 5, For when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. But while we were troubled on every side, without were fightings, within were fears. The true work of the building of the walls of Zion must now, according to God's own purpose, face great adversity. The purpose of God is, first of all, to drive us to Him for our strength. Its purpose is, secondly, to increase our dependence upon the living God, and thirdly, to make us more sensitive to the need of one and each of each other. Nehemiah is now faced, in chapter 4, with great opposition to the work of the building of the walls. But we will note that Nehemiah did not bemoan it, He did not curse it, he did not become pessimistic, but he shows the grace of perseverance. He shows the grace of strength and Christian love. We read in the chapter, Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God and set a watch day and night. I set them behind the walls with sword and spear. I rose up and said to the people, Be not afraid, remember the Lord is with us. Nehemiah is an example to us upon whom the ends of the world are come today as we too are engaged in that same work and face the same adversity and opposition. He is an example of faith. He is an example of God-given, God-centered, and God-dependent faith. Nehemiah did all this, he can, that is, he continued in the work because of God's grace working in him mightily. His was a faith which knew how to use the tools God gave him. In one hand, he placed in the men of Israel a weapon of war, a sword to defend, and on the other hand, in the other hand, a builder's tool, a trowel to build. He built with sword and trowel. Chapter 3, if you recall, that we looked at last week, gave a beautiful picture of God's people whose heart was in the work of how they went about to build the walls of Jerusalem in unity and sacrifice and display of great zeal. Waves of enthusiasm pulsed among them, 
the singing of the psalms, and the smiles of satisfaction in God's blessing. But now chapter 4, if you read that chapter today, brings us back to reality. There are moments of enthusiasm and excitement in the work of the Lord, the beginning of a Christian school, the establishment of a new congregation, the first child born in your marriage, the honeymoon. But in chapter 4 we have the reality that now in the work of the Lord we must expect to be bombarded with trouble, adversity, and opposition. The trouble came, first of all, from outside in the form of mockery, in the form of threat, and in the form of plots composed by those who were the enemies of what Nehemiah was doing because they hated Nehemiah's God. We are told of Sanballat and Tobiah, the two men who were grieved. We remember in chapter 2, verse 10, when Nehemiah came, they were grieved exceedingly that there came a man to seek the welfare of the Jews. And the two men who laughed when the Jews decided to heed Nehemiah's call to begin the rebuilding of the walls. Sanballat means sin gives life. He was a profane man, a governor in the area, and Tobiah was a Samaritan and was a false prophet. These two enemies tried three things to defeat the building of the walls. Number one, they tried cruel mockery. If you read verses 1 through 3, we read that when these two men heard that the walls were going up, they began to say first to themselves, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? And then they began to mock. They said this, Tobias said this, Even that which they build, if a fox go upon it, he shall even break down their stone wall. They began with cruel mockery. They derided the purpose that they had, the purpose of these feeble Jews, of building the walls of Zion for the glory of God. They mocked them. They lampooned their enthusiasm. They magnified the problems that they would experience. And words are powerful. Words hurt. And their words are filled with sarcasm and bitterness. They said that even if a fox, which is known for its being light-footed and balanced, even if a fox would daintily walk upon their stone wall, that they are building that stone wall would fall down. The second thing they they did was they tried to bully Nehemiah and the people. As the work continued to progress and the walls were joined together, the enemies held council of war from all the areas surrounding Jerusalem, and they marshaled their forces before Jerusalem, thinking that their presence, a show of force, would be enough to drive the people off the walls and cause them to give it up. And then, after that, they tried to scare them with intimidation. We read of that in verses 11 and following. Each morning, when the workers on the wall who had gone home to the surrounding villages would return... They said, their enemies said, we will sneak in among them as they enter into Jerusalem. We will pretend to be workers. We will sneak in among them and slay them. We will try the Trojan horse approach. So the tactics were scorn, bullying, 
and threats. Please take note, the prosperity of the true church of Jesus Christ is a great grief, is an irritation to the world, it angers the forces of sin. When you make progress in sanctification in your own life, repenting and forsaking sin, this provokes the devil. Faithfulness in marriage, being faithful and not living together before marriage, but living pure and chaste, this angers the world, this incenses the forces of darkness, and they become dedicated to destroy you in that way of holiness. But note, all opposition to us must not turn us from our duty. The ridicule that you receive for your walk of life, the looks of scorn and the jokes heaped upon you, must not drive you from your Christian duty. But the, adverse, the adversity that Nehemiah experienced was not only from the outside. It was faced with discouragement within the ranks, which was even more threatening to the work. The people of Judah came to Nehemiah to tell him of the difficult working conditions and that they were played out and the dangers to which they and their families were being exposed. We read, and Judah said, The strength of the bearers of burden is decayed, and there is much rubbish, so that we are not able to build the wall. Our strength is decayed. We're teetering. We're tired. So tired we can hardly stand straight anymore. We're staggering a couple of weeks, tussling with boulders up the cliff, had drained their strength. They had begun the work, but now it was very plain that what was involved was a great effort, and it promised only more hard work in the future. The demands had increased. And secondly, they were exposed to a danger in their families. We read, And it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them, their, that is, their adversaries, dwelt near the, their adversaries, they, that is, the adversaries, said unto us ten times, From all places where ye shall return unto us, they will be upon you. That is, the men who lived in those outlying villages were repeatedly being threatened that in their absence their families would be attacked or when they came home exhausted from the work they would be ambushed. Picture Sanballat placing his thugs, his bullies, on the street corners as a man went early to work. Hey, buddy, going to work on those walls, huh? Wife and children home alone, are they? You gonna come back tonight tired? You better watch your back. The difficulties and the discouragements, the fears and the weariness of the people of God were very real. They constituted as great a threat to the work as the opposition from outside. In fact, a greater threat. It's easier to begin the work of the Lord in the church, in a Christian marriage, in a Christian family, with little children, than to continue it. And pessimism, and hopelessness, and despair, and inward cynicism, I can't, it's too costly, the threats are too great, are great enemies. Pessimism is a greater in in enemy than atheism. Unbelief is the threat to us. Despair and hopelessness saps our strength and pessimism distorts reality. The people were beginning to say, 
we are not able to build the walls. That was not true. Philippians 4 verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. What did Nehemiah do? Three things. Number one, he prayed and had the people pray. Verses 4 and 5. Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon them, upon their head, and give them a prey for a prey in the land of captivity, and cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have profaned thee to anger before the builders. So immediate, so spiritually ingrained is prayer in Nehemiah that here he doesn't even announce it. He just breaks right out into prayer. He stands with the builders and he hears Sanballat and Tobiah and all of their ridicule and he does not respond in a verbal batter, battle. He doesn't say, oh yeah, well you listen here. He doesn't begin to spar with them. He doesn't begin to mix it up with them. This was not his weapon, and these are not our weapons. We do not battle scorn with scorn, ridicule with ridicule, cut down with cut down, jeering with jeering. Those are not our weapons. The weapons of the church are not the refurbished weapons of the world, and you may use them. You may use them as you go about your work, wherever you are, in the church or in marriage or in family. You may use the weapons of the world. Use the weapons of God. Nehemiah prayed, and his prayer centered in God. For they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. Now get that. You would expect that something that they were saying would hurt him. That one of the quills that they had shot at him would lodge in his soul. But to Nehemiah, it was not about his leadership. It was not about his work. It was not about his ability as a bricklayer or his motives, but it was about God. He does not try to defend himself, but he sees that the insults are directed at God himself, and he prayed that God would take care of his own name. And he had the people pray that way. He said, nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God. How full of significance, how pregnant with truth for us. How rich is the application. You can't build the walls of Zion in your own life. You cannot labor in the church. You cannot labor in the behalf of the kingdom of God without prayer. You cannot shield yourself from the darts of sarcasm and threats of this world without prayer. What is your first response? To return in suit? To pick up the weapons of the flesh? To use what is at the disposal of the flesh, your tongue, and further sharp words? Nehemiah viewed all of these things as foolishness, but he went in prayer to the present God, and he believed that the issue ultimately was God, and that God, God, would and must maintain his honor. The second thing that Nehemiah did was he took action, not panic, but action. He looked around, he surveyed, he assessed the situation, he took time to evaluate. Prayer led to action. Prayer made him decisive. I think one of the most memorable statements in the book of Nehemiah 
is the one found in verse in chapter 4, verse 9. Nevertheless, and this is in the context of their slander, the slander thrown against his work. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God and sat a watch against them day and night. We prayed, and then I set a watch. Prayer led to prudent, decisive, courageous action. He did not pray, pray and waffle. He did not pray, and then at the end of his prayer threw up his hands in confusion. He did the next prudent step. Decisively, in the conviction and in the calmness of his Lord, he put men out to stand watch so that they would be alerted if there was any effort for physical threats. He did not pray and bemoan. He did not pray and send out a scouting party to see how many men Sanballat had, but he prayed and he set a watch upon God. He arranged for the defense of the weak spots of the wall. He gave to families swords and spears. He announced to the enemy that their threats would meet resistance. He thought of the people with compassion. He said to them, Be not afraid. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible. He will fight for your brethren. He made changes in the work schedule to alleviate bone weariness by organizing work into parties, those who would bear burdens and other who would be builders. And then he had every man strap a sword on and put a trumpeter by himself and told the people, when you hear the trumpet, you gather to me, and we will fight. Beloved, he did his duty. How often does opposition, weariness, and adversity, and fear cause us to freeze in indecision, or to drop our hands and say, Go ahead then, roll over me, I give up. We who have so much more than Nehemiah, we have the full scriptures, the crucified Lord and Jesus Christ, his promise, I will build my church. Do we wait for problems to go away before we will work? Do we expect that we can only do good if there's no negatives in marriage? Do you say, well, I'm not going to until she, it's just too hard until she, is that what you say? In the church, why should I until they... No, Nehemiah prayed and then took action. And number three, he equipped them with sword and trowel. Everyone had a sword. We read, They that bear burdens and they that laden were laden, and everyone who had their hands in the work he gave to each one a sword. Those who did not lead both hands for working, who were harnessed to a sled pulling, a yoke of oxen, they had their sword ready, and the rest, they had their sword strapped to their side. And, in the other hand, those who were in the, in the work, with the sword strapped to their side, he gave to them a trowel to continue the work. Both sword and trowel were needed. The sword of the word of God to defend Defend us from the temptations of the world, the sins of our flesh, the heresies, the waves of despair infiltrating our heart. Beat them back by the sword of the word of God, through the preaching, through the catechism, through the creeds, through Christian discipline. Keep the church free from ungodliness. Maintain your life of holiness and a trowel. That's a bricklayer's tool 
that's shorter and wide to carry the mud to smooth out the mortar, to lay each brick evenly and carefully. Trowel to build up in the word of God, the church to encourage, to make our life firm, to give peace, hope, and strength of soul. This is an important point. Don't confuse these two. A sword is not a good tool for laying bricks, and a trowel is not a good weapon for defending a breach. In building the walls of the church and in marriage, I've seen the sword used wrongly. Then there are issues and questions and weaknesses among the people of God, areas where there is the need of growth and maturity and understanding, and one says, I have my position, and it's the only position, and this is the only way to do it. And instead of the trowel, the careful, patient use of the word, and the patient placing of each brick of truth into place, I hear the sliding of the sword out of the scabbard, and the readiness to fly in and to start a hacking their fellow believers with the truth. They use the truth as an axe to smash in the other person's head. Well, how awkward it would be if you had to lay brick with a sword. I've seen the trowel used in place of the sword. Then I've seen that questions arise in the church over whether the Bible is inspired, whether creation is true, whether the fourth commandment is in force, whether justification is by faith or by faith and works, whether homosexuality is just another lifestyle. And as the enemy of heresy and ungodliness approach and a breach is made in the wall, men try to stand with a trowel. And churches say, well, I suppose we, we should make a study of this. And the enemy, who has entered into the city to slay the truth, the church comes out against them with the trowel. Builders on the walls of Zion need to know when to use the sword and when to use the trowel. Nehemiah continued in the work of the building of the walls. In verses 20 through 23 of chapter 4, we learn that he was ready to fight if attacked by Sanballat. He was ready to go on laboring in the face of much discouragement. He had the commuters lodge, those who were going home each night, he had them now lodge within Jerusalem, and he himself did not take off his clothes for weeks except for watching, washing, he practiced constant vigilance, readiness, he continued in the work, do we? Does adversity drive you from the working on the wall, does weariness, fear, cost drain your heart of the impetus to go on? Are you committed to stay at the work of God? In your personal call to holiness, do you say, Ah, my sin's too great. I can't overcome it. Don't be naive, preacher. I can't. I can't be delivered. Do you talk like Sanballat before the call of Jesus Christ who says, Repent. Follow me. Deny yourself. Do you say, What can I, a feeble Christian, do? How in the world can I revive the stones that are fallen down in my life? I can't put this back together. You say, I've yelled all my life at my kids. 
I'm not going to be able to change. I just don't, what do you say, I just don't get along with that person. It's never going to be any different. And in your marriage, do you say it's just too hard? It's too hard to pick up the pieces anymore. Are you weary? Weary of the burden. And you say, we can't build the wall. The cost is too great. Then God raised up Nehemiah. Nehemiah like faith. Nehemiah like love. Nehemiah like strength and prayer and action and determination. God put a sword in your hand and a trowel in your hand. And then may God raise up in us the kind of knowledge of God that Nehemiah had. The God who is present. The God who would hear, the God who would maintain the honor of his name, the God who in mercy would use his servants for his good, the God before whom the enemy was puny, a bunch of loudmouths, the God who is committed to us. Our God shall fight for us. So we labored in the work, and the wall was built. Let us pray. Father, we thank Thee for Thy Word, and we pray that Thou would apply it unto our hearts today. In Jesus' name, Amen.